Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. I'm reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15 of the New Revised Standard Version. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and he started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flock drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this past week, some of us began a six-week journey through treasures of the transformed life, satisfying your soul's thirst for more, uh, by Reverend John Ed Matheson of Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, John Ed has gone to be with Jesus since uh, he wrote the book. Um, and if you're interested in what we're exploring, it's not too late to join us. We have a Tuesday morning group meeting to discuss together, and then a Thursday evening one at 6.30. So we still have materials available, and we've got some books coming, uh, we hope, tomorrow or, t or Tuesday. So you can pick one of those up. There's some uh, copies on the table as you're in where we come in. And uh, it'd be nice to have more people in the groups so that we can share our different ideas because we all have unique insights. But even if you don't have time to join us for the discussion group, we'll be talking about these themes in worship over the next six weeks. So you'll get at least some exposure to the principles and treasures of Christian living that John Ed points out. Now, if you're wondering why I'm making a big deal about joining the Tuesday or Thursday groups, Treasures of the Transformed Life calls us back to the vows and promises we made when we became members of the church. 
If you've forgotten them, we committed ourselves to supporting the ministries of our church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Now, some of you may not have made a commitment about our witness because it was only added to the liturgy of the church by the General Conference of 2008. So it was new in 2008. And it took a while to settle in, to say the least. But over time, we've gotten used to it. It was added to remind us that sharing our faith with others and inviting them to join us in the journey of faith and discipleship was at the very heart of the Wesleyan movement in its very beginning. But over time, some felt that emphasis had been lost, and so thus the addition of this other vow. Living out all of these promises can be a challenge, to say the least, but the fruits that are born when we keep our commitments help us to become more spiritually mature as disciples, especially as we journey together in faith. So we're going to talk about all of the vows in the weeks ahead, but before we get to those five specific commitments, we need to talk first about priming the pump. That's what this week is really about. We're priming the pump and getting ready to receive and share the gift of life-giving waters, of God's love for all of us and for all the world. So today I want to just suggest four things. The first is this. No matter where we are, God meets us there to freely offer us the life-giving waters that Jesus speaks about. One thing I appreciate about John Ed's approach is that he meets, he, he emphasizes this fact that God meets us right where we are right now in our faith journey. And John Ed tries to do that in his writing as well, inviting us to take a fresh look at where we find ourselves in the journey of faith today. We have all kinds of people in this church. Does that surprise you? <laughs> Not really. When we're all in different seasons of our life spiritually and chronologically, some of us, maybe many of us, feel a thirst for more. We know or at least sense that God has more for us in our lives and than we're experiencing or suffering through right now. And we want that deep, refreshing drink that will satisfy our every need. Others are walking closely with God and know how to tap into those living waters that refresh us time and time again. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know, my spiritual life's really good. It can hardly get much better than this. But you know, I believe it can. Because I believe no matter where we are, God always has more in store for us than we can imagine. And I believe we never really stop growing in faith if we're committed to that. As John Wesley said, we are always going on to perfection in love. Love of God, love of Christ, and love of neighbor. For me, that's a reminder that no matter how far I think I've come, there's still a long way to go to be truly Christ-like. Others are moving so fast with family and work and other activities that we don't even know we're thirsty for something more spiritually. We think we're okay and can't imagine how on earth we could find time to take a deeper drink spiritually. But it is almost always the case when we feel that way that it's because we're so dry, that we don't actually know how desperate for water we may be. Let me tell you, 
I speak not just from past but present experience. Some days I just feel dry. And when I do, I know why. It's because I haven't taken time to stop and drink deeply. I haven't taken time to just sit and be with God. That reality came home to me while leading mission trips in Haiti, where we built new churches or rebuilt older ones damaged by storms and then a devastating earthquake in 2010. After the earthquake, we couldn't do construction projects for a time, so we partnered with Rotary International and Pure Water for the World to provide water filters for those who had no access to clean water. When we got back, I told some of my colleagues that we'd helped make and then deliver water filters into City Soleil. City Soleil is one of the most squalid and impoverished communities in Haiti and home to many of the violent gangs you may have heard of, who even the local police fear. No one really does much mission work in City Soleil because the risk of being kidnapped is high. But in the aftermath of the 2010 earthquake, even gang members and leaders realized the necessity of clean water. So riding in a marked government truck, we were able to deliver and set up the the filter safely. On other trips, working under the heat of the Caribbean sun, I often just kept going, forgetting to drink water on a regular basis until I was parched. But eventually I learned that simple but critical lesson that if you're going to help others, you have to first fill your own cup before you fill theirs. One thing we all have in common, whether we know it or not, is that no matter what our level of thirst may be spiritually, we we really all want and need more out of our spiritual lives. There's something inside each of us that wonders, can there be more? More to life than we have. If it's possible to be happier, more fulfilled, more content, more satisfied. Now you may say, Pastor, that might be true for other folks, but it's not true for me. I'm happy with my life. I can't imagine there being more than than what I have. But even the richest man or woman in the world may long for more. Let me tell you about one of those rich folk, John D. Rockefeller, Jr., He was heir to the greatest fortune in the world back in the 1920s. Among their enterprises, the Rockefellers owned Standard Oil, which controlled almost all of the oil industry in America at the time. Estimates of his net worth at that time placed it at $995 million in 1928. But despite all that wealth which is worth about $12 billion today. When once asked how much money was enough, Rockefeller's reply was a classic, just a little bit more. <laughs> Despite all that wealth, just a little bit more. See what I mean? One of the richest men in the world. Illustrated, clear, illustrated clearly that no matter what we have, Nearly all of us still have the desire for a little bit more. 
Obviously, he was talking about money, and we do need to be wise with our use of money, as John Wesley has said, but also as Luke chapter 16, verse 11 says, if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And as Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Money is almost inconsequential when compared to the true riches Jesus had at the heart of his life and ministry. He knew money couldn't make people happy, that money would never satisfy. And he clearly taught that God offers us the true riches of life, the most precious among them being the gifts of God's love and grace and care for us. And that's the second point to consider. God really does love us and longs to care for us. If, if we will accept it. I say that because God's love is an uncontrolling love. Or to put it another way, because God loves us, we've been given the gift of free will, which gives us the ability to say yes or no to God. You know how much God cares for us? He cares so much that he offers the very best of life for us. Like Rockefeller, as a society, we tend to think that if we could just get a little more, we'd be happy. A little bit bigger house, a little bit newer car, a little bit faster computer, a bigger screen TV, because 80 inches isn't enough. But we need to remember that the true riches of life go beyond money and things. It's been aptly noted, noted, and I can't remember the source, that in today's society we can know the price of everything but the true value of very little. Deep down we all know that what we really want are things that are true and lasting. That's what we want in our relationships with our spouses, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our closest friends, our life's work. And it's perfectly okay to want more of what is truly meaningful and valuable and lasting. In fact, I dare say that nothing may please God more than knowing we don't want to settle for the crumbs that the world offers us, that we don't want to settle for less than what God created us for. God created us with a thirst to want and be more. God created us to want a richer Life, one with more meaning and a greater sense of fulfillment. And the good news is that when we seek God and say yes to God, we get those things and more. So as we begin this journey in worship and small group conversations, we might not know what that more is for us. We may know we want or need something while not having any idea what it is, and that's okay. One thing I believe is that we'll all gain in these coming weeks is a greater awareness of the relationships and activities which truly satisfy our souls. Some of us have been fortunate to discover what God's plan is for our lives. Others may not have a clue. But the good news is we get to explore for whom and for what we've been created. Which brings me to the third point. If you turn your seeking to God, you will eventually sense at least something, an inkling of God's plan for you. 
There's a place where you fit perfectly into the niche that God created for you and where everything you have or do works together to accomplish his desires for you. You may be called on to use your time, your money, your talent, your knowledge, your relationships. God has given us all of these and more, hoping we will use them intentionally so that we might grow in faith, we might glorify God with our whole life, and we might share with others. God wants us to jump into the water and enjoy it in all of its fullness, but that can't happen if we have divided loyalties. We must have a primary focus for life in Christ because Jesus made abundantly clear we can't serve two masters. Seek first the kingdom of God, he said. The primary purpose of our life should be our relationship with God. And then when we have kept that commitment, everything else falls into place. Every person in the body of Christ is gifted and called to participate in the ministry of Christ. Not just clergy, not just staff, but more importantly, I would say the laity. You outnumber clergy by who knows the number, you know? And we're called to help Jesus bring about the healing and transforming of our community and our world. So how do we do that? We do it by ministering to people and the community by the way we live our lives out in the world, by the way we treat people, whether it's a small kindness like fetching the mail for an elderly neighbor or by ways we reach out and love to others who are struggling or grieving by volunteering in areas of service in the church and in the community around us. But don't think that it is the tasks we do that are most important. They do matter. But what matters more is the relationships we create and nurture while we're serving in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, when you really love someone the way Jesus loves us, you begin to come, become a little more like them. You begin to show interest in the things that are of interest to them, to enjoy the things they enjoy, and you want to do the things they do. Jesus said he only did what he saw God doing. In John five nineteen, he says, whatever the father does, the son also does. Putting the kingdom of God first doesn't have to be hard. Some people know that already. The rest of us, well, it's never too late to discover how easy it can be. A father once asked his son what he had learned in Sunday school that day, and the young boy replied, well, I learned the vowels. The vowels. And the father said, well, what are the vowels? Because he, of course, hadn't expected that answer. And his son said, A-E-I-O-U. And the father smiled at his son and said, Son, you learned that in public school, not in Sunday school. And the son quickly replied, Well, the teacher taught us that we can remember a basic concept of life using A-E-I-O-U. A is for Adam and E is for Eve. And we're like them because they are our ancestors. And through them, we became the human children of God. Oh, okay, said the father. And why is that important? Because like them, the son said, we sometimes sin and disobey God. I see, 
said the father. But what about the IOU? Well, God sent Jesus to tell us that he loves us and forgives us and still wants us to draw closer to him. So the IOU reminds us we owe God our love in return. And that, it seems to me, is not a small part of the definition of amazing grace. That despite our small, frail, broken human nature, the creator of the universe still wants to be in a personal relationship with all of us. God wants to spend time with us. God wants to hold us and whisper to us like a mother cuddling a newborn child to remind us how much we're loved. That relationship can move and grow and take many forms throughout a lifetime. It develops in prayer. It expands in worship. It grows when we reach out to others in need. And it deepens when we give, not because we have to, but because we choose to do so as part of our stewardship of God's grace and love. God committing divine love to us while we return that love to God by sharing it with others who don't ne- don't yet know it. And there's that word again, commitment. It's an important word and concept because commitment primes the pump of faith by providing us the true and valuable waters of life that Jesus talks about in the text today. Providing us the true and valuable waters of life was a big part of his mission. And once primed, the pump can flow endlessly as long as we keep it primed. You may have heard this story of Desert Pete or some variation on it. Desert Pete was a prospector in the 1800s who had to make a four-day journey across a burning hot desert. He could not possibly carry enough water to make the journey without dying of thirst. But he was assured there was a well halfway across the desert. So he set out, and sure enough, when he got there, there was a well right where he'd been told it was. But when he pumped the handle, nothing came out. And then he saw a sign that said, buried two feet over and two feet down is a jug of water. Dig it up, but do not drink it. Use the water to prime the pump. Then drink all the water you want. But then when you're done, fill the jug and bury it again for the next person. Sure enough, two feet over and two feet down was enough water for the prospector to either prime the pump or finish his journey. Should he pour the water down the well in the hope of priming it? Or should he just drink it? After all, he had no idea. It might have just been a cruel joke. Yes, he could finish his journey with the water from the jug, but what about those who would follow? Those who would see the map and the well, clearly, it all came down to one question. Could he trust the author of the sign? In the end, Desert Pete decided to take a step of faith, to trust and commit. He used the water to prime the pump, drank his fill and more, and then drank and then reburied the, bottom, the thing of water back where it had been filled to the full for the next person. You see, part of our commitment to Christ is not only to drink deeply for ourselves, but through our lives to make it possible for others to drink deeply too. 
A Samaritan woman once came to Christ. And Jesus asked her to give him a drink. And she asked him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask of me a drink, a woman of Samaria? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, for your great love of us that is a reflection of God's love for us, we give you thanks and praise. And we hear the call to be committed disciples. And we pray that your spirit would be upon us, not only to help us see and crave the waters of life, but to reach out in love to all around us and tell them of this great and wonderful news, the waters of life gushing up to eternal life. In the wilderness of this world, O God, set a well before us, filled to the brim with the gifts of your love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.